Welcome to Education Portals, a podcast of Portals Academy, a learning support program for Christian education, equipping parents to start their own schools. I'm Dr. Sean Dickers, Vice President of Development for Portals Academy. In our first episode, we're going to take a look at multi-age learning. Multi-age learning is less prominent than age-segregated learning, obviously. When you look at government schools today, they have age-segregated learning. Each kid is at their own grade level with kids that are within 12 months of their birth date. This creates a a developmental factory model, right? Where kids go through and they're on the conveyor belt with their kids at their own stage of development. And it gets less overall attention in the research community because if you're going to do research, you're going to do research around the larger model of school. So multi-age learning does have a body of research around it. There have been experiments and there have been a unique set of benefits and challenges that come along with it. We're going to unpack those today and we're going to review some of the research findings around the topic as a summary, I think for purposes of considering multi-age formats for micro schools, private schools, and even a homeschool setting. Multi-age harkens back to the one-room schoolhouse uh, as we saw in the original kind of model of the United States. And and there's been some historical work on these one-room schoolhouses. In the early 1900s, they dominated education in America. In fact, for every 30 families, Puritans would establish a school. And that's just part of how this country was settled. There were key reasons for those schools. The most important to most communities was that they wanted their kids to be able to read the Bible for themselves. Remember, a lot of people that came to North America were here for relig- to escape religious persecution, especially in the northern colonies. So education took root in the northern colonies in every single town. Second reason was there was a birth or a renaissance of science that was happening around the world. So as kids developed new farming techniques, new ways to build a, a building, new ways to do masonry and woodworking. They wanted a population of people that were able to record and communicate those ideas to the larger community around them. So you started to see innovation take root in the United States as a trait because so many people were able to write down and communicate their ideas with others. So if I came up with the next great mousetrap, I could share that idea. And we started to see that right alongside industrialization, we had a, 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 an innovation season in America that was like none other. So, however, as the larger cities began to industrialize, that created problems for small one-room schoolhouses where kids could learn to read, write, and do arithmetic. Suddenly they said, well, we actually want kids. We don't care if they create the next great mousetrap. We want them to be civilized. We're getting people from all over the world. If you read early Horace Mann, the problem was uneducated people mobbing the larger cities. So they wanted to create some sort of public system that would give them a basic level of literacy, reading, and writing to help to civilize people coming from all over the world. The overwhelming numbers created a need for a division of labor. They went over to Europe and looked at the Prussian models. A great record of this is James Taylor Gatto's book in 2010 um, that looked at a nation transitioning to this factory workforce. And of course, Gatto looks at it through a negative lens. Age segregation wasn't a good thing. It actually separated kids and made them more moldable or influenced by a singular human being, a teacher in that room that dealt with them. They had nothing to compare those ideas off of. They had nobody else in the room. So multi-age learning, it it gets commonly used around the world today. We've seen work on this from the 90s and early 2000s. 
uh, in lower population areas where it's simply more practical to do multi-age learning. So a lot of the research comes out of those smaller settings. But increasingly, we're seeing a number of schools loop students and age levels because of the relationship between the student and teacher lasting more than a year and the benefit of a teacher knowing their students. Here's the primary benefits. We'll go through a few of them. Multi-age learning, the primary benefits are generally social and developmental. Academic achievement has some things, you'll get mixed results when you look at the research, but for the most part, academic measurement has to be measured upon a common set of measures. So if my goal is to learn about the Greeks and I teach all about the Greeks and then I test about the Greeks, my kids are gonna have very good test scores. But if my goal in learning is to teach them how to grow an apple orchard, and then I show them how to grow an apple orchard, and then I give them a test on the Greeks, they'll do very poorly on the test on the Greeks. And that test actually has absolutely no indication of the student's intelligence. It's an indication of what has been taught. It's a measure of the teacher. It's a measure of the curriculum. And so it's worth mentioning that the economic benefits of multi-age learning worldwide, when you can bring schools into smaller communities, don't necessarily apply in large city environments. And they don't necessarily imply when the testing model, in fact, the testing movement in the United States is built around a set of standards that some communities value and some communities don't. So individual academic needs are hard to measure when it comes to multi-age learning. And as one of the chief benefits, we can note that even though schools may try something that isn't teaching to the test, the test scores seem to come out okay for the most part. Specifically, since the 1960s, research on multi-age learning in the United States has been fairly consistent and established. A meta-analysis of research from Pratt in 1986 summarized that there was minimal impact on academic achievement when schools decided to do multi-age learning, usually looping between two or three grades. But there's noticeable in, in, increases across the research when it comes to student confidence, social networks, and well-being. Miller in 1991 reviewed the studies, again showing comparable academic outcomes with huge gains in non-academic areas. So one of the benefits of multi-age learning is that kids come out more socially well-adjusted. Why is that the case? Part of it is if socialization happens amongst an age-segregated setting, you simply don't develop socially because you don't see maturity beyond a 12-month range. But if I'm in a classroom with older kids and I can see what maturity looks like, there's social pressure for me to act in that kind of way. There's actually a motivation to grow up and that is to fit in and get along with the older kids. So some studies applying a different learning theory show that multi-age learning is actually the optimal setting for learning. So if I'm in a classroom with different kids of different ages, I can exceed or slow down on my learning at a pace that doesn't set me apart from everybody else. Think about this. When students learn at their challenge level, they're going to learn better. This is the basic psychology, Vygotsky's zone of proximal development. If I learn right beyond what I'm comfortable with and I'm learning at a place where I'm challenged, I can move at a pace where my learning increases, my attention increases, my motivation increases, and my retention increases. So think about this in terms of mathematics. If I'm in a multi-age classroom, everybody's at different levels for math. So it's not a stigma for me to move slow, and it's also something that I can retain motivated even when I'm ahead, because there's usually gonna be a kid that's even further ahead than I am. So I can go at my own pace. Here's another benefit to multi-age learning. 
the social learning that happens is a clear and consistent benefit. We've brought this up a little bit. So much of the area, when it comes to multi-age learning, so much of this study moved to the social benefits in the 1990s because a series of studies showed fairly conclusive data. 1997, 93, 91, learning amongst a community of learners amplifies the social growth. Here's one of the areas that I thought was interesting in this. Peer tutoring. As kids get older, but they're still in the same room with younger kids, teachers will naturally lean on the older kids to tutor the younger kids. This is good in a couple ways. One, it helps the older kids to realize the world isn't about them. At some level, the world is about serving the people around you. So even though you're smarter, you've been at it longer, you're ahead, you're more mature, you still work with and help younger kids. It works the other direction too. If I'm a younger kid, I have positive interactions with older kids. So it reduces bullying and it replaces it with peer tutoring and support and help. Hey kid, let me show you how to do that. And teachers naturally will leverage the older kids in the room. And this happened back in the one-room schoolhouses too. The older students that really loved helping people would tend to stick around and be schoolhouse teachers. So this creates, in addition to peer tutoring and strong social connections, knowing kids year after year creates networks of friends. It also creates independence. As these kids are over in that corner doing this with the teacher, the other kids have to be fairly independent, working on their learning at their own pace. Thomas and Shaw noticed this in 1992 research. Students generally feel more connected and helpful with other kids, making them feel better about themselves, making them have less negative competition instincts. Knowledge acquisition commonly happens between students where the older kids feel comfortable helping the younger kids. And it reinforces that learning is important. And it creates a sense of, of community around learning. Conclusively, students in multi-age settings have stronger well-being, stronger confidence, better learning habits, better cooperation, more pro-social skills, independent learning skills, all of which have secondary bodies of research showing how important these are for lifetime learning. Hoffman, 2003. This has introduced a line of inquiry around improved student interest and engagement in multi-age learning. While it's reasonable to believe these would also improve, the research here is still pretty small. While these studies show, at worst, similar academic achievement, they all show positive social achievement. And kids that are simply better balanced. It's hard to feel sorry for yourself when you have kids that are still learning and struggling behind you in the same room. It's hard to get too cocky and arrogant when you have kids that are older and further ahead than you are in the same room. In, in fact, it creates a healthy humility amongst kids, a healthy sense of service, a healthy sense of ministry, that we live life together. And in every other setting in human life, we interact with people that are from different age groups, at work, at church, at home. Only in an age-segregated setting do we create an isolation. However, as we look at these sorts of things, one of the things I'd be interested to see is more of a longitudinal look of lifetime learning habits and how a multi-age learning setting affects people 30 years later. That research just isn't out there yet. So there are some challenges with multi-age learning. Let's go through the challenges. Notably, one of the greatest challenges that's reported in the research around multi-age learning is parent apprehension. The perception that their kids won't move as fast if they're in a multi-age setting. Now, when we've convinced the entire population that test scores matter, this is a tough thing to overcome because parents say, well, if my kid's in a multi-age setting, are they going to achieve at the level they need to achieve at on a test that's been created by people that have built standards? 
This model puts into question not just multi-age learning, but it puts into question how far we've brainwashed people to think that the standardized test scores matter. These are perception studies then, not about performance, because the, as we talked about before, we've seen the test scores actually don't see much effect from multi-age learning experiments over the last 30 years. But the perception remains a challenge. You can create a multi-age setting, but parents have to be convinced that it's good for their kids. So that's one of the challenges. Here's another challenge, teacher training. When they've done experiments with multi-age learning, teachers are one of the primary roadblocks. They're not trained for it. Most teachers report having little to no training around multi-age learning sessions in their, in their college programs. So university instruction is simply inadequate to the test. 2010 research from Iski and friends uh, demonstrated that. If you take your own teacher preparation and start to think about training teachers for multi-age learning, this is something that can be minimized at the very least. But if you think about it, if you've been a teacher for any amount of time in a government school, you become an expert at one age level. You forget everything you were taught about developmental um, traits of younger and older students. You really focus in on that grade level you've been teaching. As a note, however, when you look at the homeschool world, we seem to have absolutely no problems with teacher training. Most homeschool families have not been trained as teachers. They have full expectation that they'll have kids at multiple age levels. And on average, homeschool families perform just fine on tests and standardized testing. So it's interesting that untrained homeschool parents don't seem to have an issue with multi-age learning where trained public school teachers do have issues with multi-age learning. This leads to another challenge that's reported in the research. Teacher prep time, materials, and curriculum designed for age-segregated settings. It's hard to convert some of those things. So the predominance of age-segregated learning creates a market for age-segregated curriculum. Research on multi-age learning universally notes the challenges of the curriculum itself being narrowed down to one age level. This goes along with testing. They're simply not designed for multi-age learning. As research continues to show differentiated learning models as effective, the publishing community has not caught up. This is a challenge. Teaching in multi-age settings can be challenging in and of itself, but it takes support, professional development, administrative monitoring, increased prep time from Pratt and Treacy 1996, any preparation work that can be done for the teacher and packaged in a curriculum helps to offset this challenge. If not, we need to start seeing research around these kinds of things. One caveat is that a number of studies are done in experimental rule or trial settings. So the research that we have on multi-age learning is not done in a system intentionally designed for it. It's done in the system that's trying it out. So when we look at the challenges of multi-age learning of teachers that haven't been trained or done for it, it's likely because when they were hired, they were hired for an age-segregated school, but they volunteered to be part of a multi-age setting. Instead of being trained up and learned you know, the ropes from the beginning in that kind of a setting. So we have teachers getting shoehorned into multi-age experiments where innovation, classroom management changes significantly. Even leveraging those older kids to help out with the younger kids is a skill and a set of expectations that a teacher needs to have. Homeschooling research interestingly shows virtually no issues with this in part because the parents that have done it started doing it that way from the beginning. So in summary, conclusion,
multi-age learning has benefits. We see it in the research. We've seen it in the research for 30 years. Those benefits most notably and decisively include social skills, student efficacy, positive lifetime learning habits, even the idea of service and ministry to other people of other ages. And it creates a student disposition that's comfortable with other people at other age levels. So better interactive skills, better social skills. Academic learnings have fairly mixed results. And if nothing, if, if, if as a general summary of the research, multi-age learning has minimal to no effect on academic learning outcomes, even when the testing remains for an age-segregated system. Challenges around teacher education are preparation. Challenges around multi-age learning are teacher preparation, curriculum choices, education for the adults and the parents involved, and these can be mediated if we create systems that are multi-age, like Portals Academy. Benefits seem to align exactly with the express priorities of what people want to see in education, yet they haven't taken the step to put their kids into that kind of system. So that's multi-age learning, a quick summary. You may have things to add. Feel free to comment. Feel free to send us a note. If there's other research that you're seeing that's exciting around multi-age learning, we want to see it.